Gracious Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, God, that you have been so kind as to to give us a revelation of yourself in your word. That we might know you, that we might have peace with you, that we might enjoy relationship forever with you. And that in this life we might reflect you. God, I pray that as we study this word, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, and that we would be changed to the praise of your glory. May your Holy Spirit use the word of God in the heart of each man and woman and boy and girl that is here. And God, may you do a beautiful work. And may the evidence be in our lives as we live out these truths this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it again because it was a short passage and you might have already forgotten it. So let's go back to it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. First of all, what in the world are we doing spending time on a salutation? How much time do you normally spend on the dear to whom it may concern portion of the letter, right? Not much, but letters were written differently then. Think of this as not only the salutation, but the first few lines of a letter in which you're introducing yourself, right? I often write letters for people, letters of recommendation, and I don't just say to whom it may concern, I highly recommend this individual. It would, it would mean nothing. They want to know who am I that I have the right and any knowledge of or any standing to be able to explain why I do write in recommendation. Um, And I always told kids, be sure that if you ask me to write a recommendation, it will be positive, right? I just have to speak the truth. But, Peter here is introducing himself, but he's doing a whole lot more. And I want to encourage you today that spending time on something as simple as this salutation can be deeply helpful in understanding not just who the author is, but what in the world is he trying to accomplish with this little letter we call 2 Peter. Next question is this, why do we need 2 Peter? Why in the world do we need another Peter? Didn't we have the first letter, Peter? Wasn't that enough? Why didn't you say everything you needed to say in the first letter and be done with it? We don't need to hear from you again, right? There's great reason for this. Let me do it this way. We all here have heard one way or another some scripture, okay? You have at least today, if this was your first time. Many of us here have professed faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord. And many have had years of training and teaching in the faith, if you will, the body of truth that we hold to. And the problem lies here, that many of us stop there in our thinking. Yes, I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I stand firm on that. And really, for me, there's no question as to whether I believe it. I believe it's true. I hold fast to that. I stand firm on that truth. And yet, 
we come day by day to situations in life, difficulties in life, trials of life, and blessings in life, and we quickly kind of just lose it. We, we get flustered and, and discouraged and disappointed and fearful and all these things. And, and it's like, yeah, I did that. When people start talking about Jesus, yeah, I, I, are, I know, I know, I know. I trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm talking about today. I'm talking about this situation. I'm talking about my situation. And what I believe Second Peter gives us is that no matter what comes your way, you can be fruitful. First Peter was about being firm and faithful. Second Peter helps us see that we can be fruitful. Taken together, what we find here is that we are to be faithful and fruitful. Because it's not just about some historical Jesus that we look back and say, yes, I know that he died on the cross for my sins and paid the debt that I might be forgiven and I am trusting wholly in that. Praise God. But there's more. And that is where our brother Peter is with the church, with the, 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 the believers spread abroad, is that, you know what? There's more to it than that. You are to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be fruitful. There's not one believer here who should or must remain fruitless. Every one of us should bear fruit. In fact, we have been given what we need to bear much fruit. Everything that we need for life and for godliness to bear much fruit has been provided for us as believers. And as we go through this little book, we'll see that, right? Whether you're young, you're 10, 11, 12, if you're a believer in Christ, you can be fruitful. If you're single, you can be fruitful and faithful. You're married, faithful and fruitful. Married with kids. Believe it or not, you can still be fruitful, right? If you're busy, empty nesters, retired, old and tired, be fruitful, right? Be fruitful. That's the call. In other words, there's not a person under the sound of my voice here this morning that is a believer in Jesus Christ that cannot be fruitful. I will go so far as to say that should not be fruitful, And in being fruitful to know the great joy and blessing that comes with that. And that's where our brother Peter goes in this passage. Right? So please don't confuse busy at church or in a particular ministry as fruitful. We are talking about fruit that is a result, as Peter says, multiplied grace and peace. And we should all want some of that harvest. And so we're going to look here today and see three things, I think, that are really essential to understand. First of all, our role, right? We're going to see our role by the calling and purchase of God. We're going to look at our standing by the righteousness of God. And we're going to look at our goal through the knowledge of God. So that's where we're going today. And I think that together, that as we leave today, I hope we are greater impassioned for what Peter's impassioned for, and that is our mutual and individual growth in Christ. So he opens with this salutation, Simeon Peter, which by by the way, Simeon, 
Last time, every other time, we most of the times, he's referred to as Simon Peter. This is a, a, a actually something that I think points to Peter being the author, because some people debate that. But they say, well, he didn't say Simon Peter. Well, actually, in the Hebrew, this is a more this is a better transliteration of into the Greek of what that really would be. And so you could argue, ah, okay, that's him putting his little stamp on it. One way or another, we don't know why, but he's chose to introduce himself as Simeon Peter in the earliest manuscripts. But then we get into this, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'll move on because Ray preached that already. Um, oh, no, he mentioned it earlier, mentioned it. Um, we'll get into some good stuff there to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So by the calling... And the purchase of God, every believer is, like Peter, a fellow slave of God. And I think this is really important to what the difference is between what we see in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You see, in 1 Peter, he did not introduce himself this way. He introduced himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In 2 Peter, where we're looking today, he identifies with these other believers in a a way a lot like what the Apostle Paul often did. He is a servant or slave is the, the more literal translation, a doulos, as was mentioned, a slave of Jesus Christ who is serving as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you ask, why do they use servant? Well, there's a whole lot of reasons. One, in the early church, they didn't. They used doulos. They talked about a slave. But as time grew on, that, that rubbed people. In a, in a, it, it, became, it became more tasteful to use the word servant than slave. We're not here to be tasteful. Okay, we want to be as accurate and clear, but I think when we understand servant in our day and age, if you understand it, I'm so-and-so's servant or so-and-so's slave, it comes down to the same conclusion, and that is this. You're serving someone else at their beck and call. They are, you are accountable to them and only them, right? But Peter's identity, and much is made of Peter's failures, but you know, Peter's identity really shouldn't be back on his failures. Are yours? I hope not. Now, we sometimes go there in our heads and in our hearts, and some other people may try to take us there. But the fact of the matter is, if you are in Christ, that's not who you are. Who you are, who Peter was, was, I'm a servant and apostle of God. That's who I am. That's my identity. And you too as a believer in Christ, are a servant of God. The early church, again, through the teaching of Paul and of Peter, did emphasize this idea of a slave. Because especially in in Rome, this was a big issue. They were not servants of or slaves of Caesar. Caesar was not their Lord. Caesar was not their God. They were slaves of Jesus Christ. And don't try you try to make me do anything different. And many of them were martyred for that cause because they were unwilling to obey Caesar rather than Christ. So it was whether slave or free, John MacArthur wrote, they all had been set free from sin, yet having been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, they had become slaves of Christ. So we share that, right? We've been bought with a price. 
the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've been bought with that price, guess who you belong to? You belong to Jesus. And in 21st century America, we don't like that. Nobody owns me, boy. Nobody, right? That, I am my own man. I do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do, right? Well, for the believer, that's not an attitude that we can hold to. We belong to Jesus Christ, and that's a good thing. He is not an evil master. He is not a sinful man. He is a good and gracious and sovereign and all-knowing and all-wise God who loves you and has the ultimate good of both you and the cosmos, if you will, in His mind because the ultimate good is His glory. And so, as we think of being slaves, we share that together. And in doing so, here's what He did. He's like, you, me, we're the same. And you're going to see Him do this again. I am a servant and apostle. I'm an apostle sets him apart and establishes his authority for speaking on the matter. But his servant says, you and me, we're the same. We're both slaves of God. But I think there's something even a little bit more. We're not going to spend a lot of time on on apostle other than the fact that that he was commissioned by God. He was one of those unique ones at at the start of the church on whom the foundation of the church was laid, that he was an apostle, the commissioned one, the sent one. And his job was to go and establish, build the church. And Ephesians 2 makes that clear that together with the prophets, they were the foundation for the church. But there's another connection. There's another connection that I think is here because in the Old Testament, there was this title, Servant of the Lord, that carried a great significance because it had been applied to many of the founders back then. People like Abraham and Moses and David. And so Peter is saying, I'm of that same line. I'm a founder. I'm one of the, I'm one of the founders of this. But yet, I'm not just my guy. I'm a servant of the Lord. And so Paul linked himself to this line of those who were called by God to have foundational ministries among his people. And like we mentioned, you can go to Ephesians 2.20 and see that, that reference. But he'd come a long way, baby, because he had been a fisherman, a disciple, a denier, and now he's a servant and apostle of the Lord. Many of us can connect with that, can't we? Who were you? Who were you before Christ? Say, well, I don't have a, you know, a horrible testimony. I didn't, you know, do this and that and then, and then come out of that. I was saved when I was ten. Oh, but you know what you were before? You were an unsaved individual who, who was a sinner and only a sinner who faced the, the eternal hell because you, as a sinner, have wages to pay. But, You've come a long way if you are in the faith. Because now you have been forgiven. You have been made alive in Christ. And you now have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so in that way, we've come a long way, baby, along with the Apostle Peter. And I hope that as we go through this book of Peter, we'll, as we reference times past for Peter, that we'll look at those times past in comparison with where Peter is. And I think as we look at each other's lives, knowing that we are growing in Christ, we will be encouraged to see that progress together through Christ. 
So having established his credentials and connected with his audience, he then addresses his audience by saying, To those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and sa- our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, who are these people that have such a high standing? I mean, these got to be some really top drawer people. Because they have an equal standing with Peter before God. They must be incredible. Right? Peter walked with Jesus. I mean, Jesus commissioned... You go to the end of John and you see, you know, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Man, it's, it's go, buddy. And, and you're saying, these people? Who are they? Well, you, if you're any kind of Bible scholar, you know that the whole body of Christ worldwide was built on this reality. In that we all attain an equal standing before God through Jesus Christ, through, through His righteousness. And, it's, and, and in that, we think, okay, that's good, that's fine. But there are some wonderful, reassuring things, especially, I think, for some among us today. Some who have some, some, a past like Peter, who have struggled with deserting, who have struggled with denouncing and struggled with wandering like a Peter did. Because in spite of that, there's no one in here that has a better standing before God than anyone else. If you are in Christ and you have by faith trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your standing is righteous in the sight of God through Jesus Christ. How do you get better than that? How do you get better than righteous through Christ? What's more righteous than Christ? Nothing. And yet some of us are busy in our lives trying to prove somehow ourselves before God. See God, I'm I'm better. I, I can be better. It's not about you being better. And we'll talk about what growth is here in a little bit. But this is is a result of faith that is obtained from God. And it's interesting that they use the word obtained. Peter uses the word obtained rather than attained. Okay? Because the word obtained is, is an idea, it gives the idea that it's received. Okay? And this is a reality. This faith that we have, it is by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is, the, it is the gift of God, lest any should boast. Your grace that you've received through faith, all of it, a gift. It is given by God. It is His good pleasure to give through faith. And I tell you what, you didn't deserve it, and I didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And so, it's obtained, not attained. It's not something you grow into. Spurgeon puts it this way. Faith does not grow in man's heart by, by nature. It is a thing that is obtained. It is not a matter that springs up by a process of education or by the example of excellent instruction of our parents. It is a thing that has to be obtained. Not imitation, but regeneration. That means to be made alive. Not development, but conversion. In other words... You didn't always, and this is important to understand, many of us grew up here in a church. And we grew up knowing about Jesus. But there's a difference between knowing about Jesus when you were young and coming to saving faith and knowing Jesus as your Savior. So just be careful. When you say, I always knew Jesus, 
That's different. You always knew about Jesus. But there has to come a point in every person's life in which they obtain faith through Christ. Then you are saved. And that's an important distinction here. But that happens, that happens by faith in what? By the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is an important object of this faith, right? The righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, through the righteousness of God, every believer has equal standing before God. I don't think we have this in the slides. I didn't give it to them. But Romans three twenty-one through 24 says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from keeping the law or apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Listen to this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by this grace, his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Apart from the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, we have equal standing. But it's a different equal standing. It's an equal standing, as we mentioned already, that we are all sinners and we stand condemned before Christ apart from, apart from the hope that we have in Christ. This is where the good news of the gospel comes in. And I love what Graham Goldsworthy from an Aussie theologian says about the gospel. The gospel is saying that what man cannot do in order to be accepted with God, this God himself has done for us in the person of Christ. To be acceptable to God, we must present to God a life of perfect and unceasing obedience to, to His will. Any takers? Anybody have, have a life like that to present? Listen to what He says. The Gospel declares that Jesus has done this for us. For God to be righteous, He must deal with our sin. This He has done for us in Jesus. The holy law of God was lived out perfectly for us by Christ, and its penalty was paid perfectly for us by Christ. The living and dying of Christ for us and this alone is the basis of our acceptance with God. That's good. That is good because that's at the heart of what this standing is. I have no standing, either now or in the past, in and of my own before God. He has every right to throw me out. But in Christ, He has no right. And listen, it would not be just of God this is how far it goes. In 1 John, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess our sins to him. What does that mean? It means it would be unjust of God to, to take someone who is by faith trusted in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to cast them out. It would be unjust. And why? Because justice has been paid in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no double indemnity there. Jesus paid it in full. But guess what? That's only for those who have by faith trusted in Christ. Who are dressed in His righteousness. Otherwise, we're on our own. You see, because of this, we can say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.9, that we be found in Him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, 
at the heart of this, we have a firm foundation. We have a firm standing before God. We all have an equal standing before God. And it's a standing that is not rooted in us. Therefore, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to shift. It's unshakable, right? Jesus' righteousness is, will endure. Now, some will debate at the end of this verse whether it's referring to God and this, our Savior Jesus Christ. But there is, in the Greek, there is one article before both of these. It says, our Savior, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It puts them into one. And you say, so what? It's, you know, we still know the Trinity and all this stuff. Ah, but it matters to Peter. And he's going to bring it up again in, in verses to follow. But Titus 2.13 uses the same kind of language and the same kind of article before the two together. They are one. It's not God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Waiting for our blessed hope, Titus, it says, Paul writes in Titus, Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, this, this statement by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ is one of the strongest affirmations of the divinity of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In other words, He is Savior and Lord. He is God Himself. So, we've tried to make a case for the significance of this equal standing in, in Peter's situation. He had a unique calling. He was an apostle. But he's no greater in his righteousness than anyone else. Not to the people he was writing or us today. So as he has established, first of all, his identity or his role, right, as servant and apostle, now he has also given us a clear understanding of this standing, this equal standing before God. And that's where we start. But that's not all. If, if that was all, we could sort of go back to First Peter and say, okay, we've done this before. This firm foundation thing, all right? But wait, there's more. Because now as he gets into addressing them, he has a bit of a prayer. A bit of a prayer and a blessing for them. A bit of a statement of purpose for the book, if you will. Because in verse 2, he writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We'll read that again because usually this is throwaway stuff. This is the part of the letter where we move on to verse 3 because verse 3 is the one that everybody loves and it's, and it's a fantastic verse. Don't you get me wrong. It is a wonderful promise and you'll have to be back next week as we talk about it. But this verse just sort of gets passed over. But this verse leads into verse 3. And it is, it is beautiful. And I hope that if anything happens today, that you will be encouraged in fruitfulness in your daily life, that you will be strengthened through the Spirit as you understand what this is saying to us. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How in the world can grace and peace be multiplied. This is not a math class. All right? It's not a it's not a biology class. Okay? But how can grace and peace be multiplied? Not added, but multiplied. 
I want you to think on this, and we'll come back and answer this question. But I thought we had all the grace we need at salvation. I thought we had peace with God already, complete peace with God already. So why do we need it multiplied? Don't we have enough of it? And I think Peter would say, you'll never have enough of it in this life. But you have to understand what he means when he says, you don't have enough of it. What exactly is to be multiplied? Well, I love what the old pastor Charles Simeon said in the early 1800s. He said, by grace, I understand all that is necessary for the transformation of the soul into the divine image. He's not saying something weird here, okay? This is what the old theologians would say, Christ-likeness. To be transformed into looking like Jesus, okay? And by peace, all that is necessary for the comfort and encouragement of the soul in its progress heavenward. We're not talking about peace with God. We're talking about a peace in the midst of this journey. We're not talking about the grace that by which you were saved. We're talking about the, the strength and power and everything that is needed from God to help you be transformed into the image of His Son. He wants Paul's prayer, Peter's prayer, I want that multiplied to you. I want that, man, exponentially increased in you, right? Because why? He wants you to be encouraged and comforted and growing up until that day when Jesus takes you home. That's the heart of this. And so as we think through that, I think we can begin to all say, we need that. We need that. We need to have a peace that in the midst of our trials ministers to our hearts providing encouragement. We need in the midst of our temptations everything that God can supply, His grace for that moment to overcome sin and doubt and despair and discouragement in our lives. We need that. And that's what Peter's praying for. That it would be multiplied to us. You see, while we have peace with God and while we have grace, we want it multiplied. Listen, to, just in case you're not sure if you have that peace and if you already have that, that unshakable grace, here's what Romans 5 says about what you already have. He says, therefore, Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, we talked about that in verse 1, We have peace with God. We have it. We have peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have that grace. Saving grace, justifying grace, we've got it. Peace with God, we've got it. If you are in Christ. But grace and peace are not only the objective status we enjoy because of our standing with God. But as John Piper writes, they are also the experiential enjoyment of that status. I like that. It is us learning how to enjoy what we have in our access to God, in our standing with God, in the indwelling work of His Spirit through His Word in our lives. That's what we get to enjoy. He goes on to say, It is gloriously true that God made an objective peace between him and us by the blood of Christ. And he did it by a historical divine act of divine grace that was firm and unchangeable. 
our standing of grace and peace with God will not change. And so if we stand in a grace that is unshakable, that we just read about, and if we are reconciled to God through unchangeable peace, then what is multiplied to us is an increased and deepened experience of grace and peace. You see, this knowledge of Christ that we're talking about is not merely a knowledge, a head knowledge, knowing about. If that was true, then all we would need to do is memorize and affirm the pages of this book. But what he's talking about is something grander in the heart of a regenerated believer, one who is alive in Christ. That there is a work that God does through his word and through his spirit in the context of daily living that leads to us growing, to leads to us maturing as we see, ah, that's how that, that's how that affects life now. That's how I can trust God now. I can, that's an experience of growing in my knowledge, not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge of God. But I think it's important that we understand something. And some of you are going to get really uncomfortable. Okay? You're going to get real uncomfortable. Chris knows where I'm going with this. We talked about this. He may get uncomfortable. I don't know. But there is a difference, and I'll prove it from scripture. That should give you some peace. There is a difference between unconditional grace and conditional grace. Unconditional grace is that unmerited grace by which we are saved. It speaks to the gift of our justification by faith in the righteousness of God, the standing with God. We've hit that a lot. Conditional grace is that grace we receive from God to deal with the experiences, trials, and cares of the day. It is no more deserved than saving grace. But it is an experience in our, it is in our submission to Jesus, our trust in God's wisdom, our trust in His providence, our trust in His care. It is the result of living in light of His precious promises. It is the God, God has some very precious promises that He gives us, but there are some interesting conditions in which they are given. For example, here are a couple of, of passages that I think help demonstrate this point of there are promises that we are to respond to, that we grow to know them, and then in the course of life we learn better how to respond in trusting them. And here's a couple of them. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Did you see specifically what God gives to the humble? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look what it says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7 and verse 9. Do not be anxious about anything. We sang about this earlier. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made to, get, made to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, what is given there? Peace. What is given previously? Grace. 
What in the world does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're going to have a better relationship. You, you somehow all of a sudden, finally, are going to have peace with God. No, you had that. You have that. All of a sudden, you're going to get grace to save you, infused to you. No, definitely not. This is not about justification, if you like the big word, or salvation. This is about your sanctification. You're growing up in Jesus, learning how day by day to grow in trusting him. Many of us still are stuck back on salvation. And young people, you're, you're wondering, why is my life such? I, I just, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I'm not growing. I'm still struggling. Yeah, you'll always struggle, but you should grow in your struggle. And you do that as you firmly trust in Jesus Christ. And that is actually fruit. Fruit is not just you going out and saving souls. Fruit is not your activity around here at the church. It can be part of it. But your fruit is the reflection, the production of of Christ-likeness in your life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. Folks, Many of us are looking to the wrong things as affirmation that we are walking with Jesus, that we're bearing fruit, but yet we're very unfulfilled and disappointed and discouraged and disillusioned by the reality that seems missing. And we come every Sunday and we sit in the pew. And we go serve in the nursery and we teach a Sunday school class. We go down and serve at Indie Outreach and Alabaster Jar Indie and we serve meals and we we go to women's Bible study or men's special force. And like, man, I just... I don't know. Because it's not about the activity. As good as that activity can be. And a lot of that can actually feed this growth. But the growth comes when we actually trust Jesus. When we trust His precious promises. When we read the promises that say something like, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so He may exalt you. That we actually trust Him. And we say, Lord, not my will, but Yours be done. I, I, I'm not going to stand and object to You as Sovereign Lord. Lord, uh, humble myself. Lord, I'm not going to put myself over others. I'm going to humble myself towards one another so that I might experience Your gracious work of supplying all my needs according to Your riches and glory. I trust you. I don't, I don't need what position gives me. I don't need what notoriety gives me. I don't need what, what prestige will give me. Lord, I, I, what I really need right now, I know it. My, my, my body doesn't know it, but my heart knows it. I need you. Lord, I trust in you right now. I'm trusting you right now with, that, with, with this difficult situation of my health. I'm trusting you, Lord, in my finances. I'm trusting you, though people malign me. I trust you, Lord, though, though my husband or my, my wife is, is, is angry with me. Lord I, Lord, I just need you right now. I don't need to fix them. I need to be humble before you. I need your grace. And then you apply that towards the peace of God. That you, that with thank, you present your request with thanksgiving to God. And he says, in a peace that passes all understanding. It's not a magic thing like abracadabra peanut butter sandwich cookies. You now have peace that passes all understanding. It is a result of the believer knowing to whom he is dependent. Who has done it in the past, that's with thanksgiving. And who he's depending on now, letting my request be made known to God. 
And my peace comes not with some just sense, weird kind of just feeling. I feel it in my stirring in my bones. No, it's a resolved confidence that comes from going, you know what, I trusted him and he was faithful. That's young people, one good reason why you need to be around older people. Older people who have been through the years, been through the trials, been through the difficulties, and said he's been faithful. It's been hard, but he's given me peace and he's given me grace. And friend, that is what he is saying can be multiplied, multiplied in our lives. This is what Peter was praying for. And it's the end to which he wrote his, his epistle. It's far too easy to grow comfortable with a wealth of acquired knowledge about God or satisfied because we're active, which is funny. Because when I was young, when I was a little boy, I think of these guys over here, I was told, you're a little too active at church. Um, now it's like, hey, you ought, you ought to be a little more active. Or I'm active at church. But as a result, we may believe ourselves to be mature because we're well-read, much taught, and have many years in the church. Or we may even feel that since we're busy for God, we're, we're in a good place. But the fact of the matter is, we lack the true knowledge of God. Knowledge is not just knowing. If that were true, knowledge is not just knowing in our head, but the experiential element of it. If that were true, then driver's ed would be all that we need. I'm looking at Chris. You you haven't experienced this with any of your children, the idea of actually getting in the car with them, right? If you've taught your kid recently and you've had to move from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, it's amazing how close to the side of the road you are. All the time. All the time. I mean, I found myself just clutching and hitting the imaginary brake over and over and over. Because knowing, even when they thought they knew, even if they had driven four-wheelers and lawnmowers and tractors, it wasn't the same as entering I-69 at 70 miles an hour and there's semis going by and you're in the passenger seat and they're driving. There is an experience that comes over time. One that I guess you could continue to grow in because apparently we totaled two cars this past year and, you know, but who's counting, right? Um, there is experiential knowledge is superior to head knowledge. And with that, I have another quote from Charles Simeon. Love Charles Simeon. If you ever want to borrow a set of commentaries, I might let you borrow a book at a time, right? Awesome. He says, it is by the knowledge of God through Christ alone that grace and peace are first obtained. Faith, hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we look to God as reconciled to us in Jesus, then grace and peace flow down into our souls. In like manner, it is only through an increasing acquaintance with this mystery that we grow up into Christ and are transformed into his image. Contemplate then more and more the wonders of redeeming love and be assured that in proportion as you are enabled to comprehend them, you shall be filled with all the fullness of God and grace and peace will be multiplied to you. Man, we think so little. We are so busy. We are so torn a million different directions that we take so little time in the moment to do more than just respond. 
when what we really need is to be keenly aware of God's Word and God's presence and God's work through His Spirit, that we then might be experiencing His peace and grace multiplied in that moment. Right now. Every moment of every day. And in therefore, we'll see it multiplied over and over in our lives. The more you know Him, the more you should trust Him. And the more you trust Him, the more you will delight in His, in His good work in your life. And friends, that's our prayer for you today. Our prayer, and the prayer of Peter here, is that each and every one of us, who have this standing before God, an equal standing, would grow in our knowledge of God, and as we grow in our knowledge of God, that we would experience the multiplied, the exponentially multiplied blessing of His grace and His peace. And for some this morning, that's a long, feels a long ways away. And that's one of the blessings of being part of a church. One of the blessings is that there are others who have been there or are there, and, but we are all looking to the same place. We, we pray that when you come to this church, that you will find other believers who are looking to the same place, and that is to the knowledge of God. We're not looking to everything else out there. If you need everything else, you can find it somewhere else. But if you're looking to know God and the power of His work in your life, then our prayer is that together we would point one another in those moments, no matter what the moments would be, don't be offended when we say, man, let's, let's dig into this together. What, what are God's promises in this? What, and and it's, not a, it's not like we're just putting little bullets in a gun and saying, boom, see, we killed your problem. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, hey, here's, here's a promise that I found true because His word is true and amen. You can trust it too. And friend, you can trust Him. And next week we will find that through His very precious promises, He provides everything we need for life and for godliness. That's a big promise. Because you have a big God who calls for you to be fruitful. Fruitful in relying on Him. A fruitful relationship is not one that just goes and does. And I know that that goes a little bit against what we sometimes think. The truly fruitful relationship is the one that relies on Christ and produces the fruit of Christ. And the sooner we get that understanding, then we'll be able to say, oh, yeah, he's busy, but he's truly busy about the Lord's work. He's just trying to reflect Jesus where he's at, right? She's just trying to live out Jesus where she's at. And she's growing, and that's, the, that's a beautiful fruit. When intimate heart knowledge of God through Christ increases, our grace and peace increase, and we become more like Christ. And I think... We see that right at the end of 2 Peter 3.18. Chris mentioned it last week, and I believe it's a great way for us to end this week. Here is what Peter says in conclusion. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? To Him be the glory and honor, both now and to the day of eternity.
Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, as we come to You, we acknowledge that we desperately need to know You, but we need to know You right. We need to know You as You reveal Yourself, not how we think You are. And so we need the work of Your Holy Spirit in our lives, and we need the sharpening of believers around us to help keep pointing us back to Christ. And so, Lord, it is our prayer that grace and peace would be multiplied to us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that in so doing, you'll be magnified, and we will know the deep and abiding grace and peace and fruitfulness that is a result. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.